five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the Winning War Cry segment. We are happy to have you here with us. I've got Jason and I've got Dan. Welcome, boys. Hey. Thank you. I went to say boys and guys and it came out as bays. Boys? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> That's right. We can be your bay. Oh, we've got some fun stuff to talk about. In fact, Dan, you and I decided to hold off this episode until the Sunday reveal happened just two days ago. And I think it was well worth it. Yeah, we got rewarded in a big way. I'm so glad we did it. Yeah, definitely. So we are going to talk about Gurkrai today. We are going to talk about First Edition and what we loved about it with a tear gleaming in our eye. And we're going to talk Flesh Eater Quartz, which I think is very exciting. I'm, I'm, it's one of the OG uh, uh, war bands that came out in the very beginning, and I think uh, it deserves a revisit right now. So, let's get started uh, with Hobby Table. Jason, how's your Hobby Table looking? Well, my Hobby Table um, has, uh, well, if you're going to talk Games Workshop, I have uh, my Yetis. I decided to put Yetis into my Ogre Warband. And uh, um, as I was building them, I wasn't happy with the model that I had that represented the Yeti. And it's not the Games Workshop model, because that model's way down on the totem pole for me. It's just not a good-looking model. It's pretty dated. Pretty, <laughs> pretty dated. dated. Uh, yeah. But um, but I wasn't happy with the the proxy that I had in there, so I kind of went with what I know a lot of people do, which is interesting because we're talking about Feck today. Uh, Flesh Eater Quartz is I went with the um, I went with the uh, um, the Cryptor, which is a uh, standard. A lot of people use the Cryptor as a plugin. They'll do a morph between a Cryptor and a Crypt Flayer. Um, because it's the right, it's the same base size. It's a fifty millimeter base mm-hmm. size. Okay. Okay. For the Yeti, and the size of the model is about the size of what you think a Yeti should be, and it's got you know bone hammers and and stuff like that. So kind of you can really kind of convert it. Convert's really kind of the wrong word, but you can really kind of proxy it in for a Yeti. Um, so I kind of did that. I I took a I took the Vargeist face and put it on a Cryptor. And I made sure not to use the ones that have the bones coming out of the back, but the ones that have the fur coming out the back. And I'm just going to yeah. paint it up to look like a Yeti and, and go with that. And it'll be an easy way because I had tons of boxes of Flesh Eater Course when I played that in Age of Sigmar left over. So I was able to just throw one together. That'll be cool. I, I know you were looking at um, some like third-party 3D printed ones. Some of yeah, I was looking cool. at a, a win, win, how do you say it, a Wendigo? Windigo, Windigo. Oh yeah, I know what yeah. you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I had a Windigo, and I really liked. I really liked, it and I thought it would have really worked. It's just when I got it, um, and it's still a really good print. But when I got it, it's just not sized appropriately, uh, rest, uh, uh, relative to the other ogres in the warband. So the Cryptor, I think, 
feels a little bit more like an appropriate size for a Yeti that's storming down the mountain with the ogres. So that's how I'm going to go. Which has been the theme of your ogres for a while, right? You talked about them more being like hill Yeah, hill they're hill ogres, ogres. Than the ice yep. ones, right? Versus ice, yep, for sure. Absolutely. It's how painted. That's how the bases look. That's how they're all painted. They're very warm colors. Uh, and I'm going to do the same thing with the Yeti. It's going to be kind of a really warm orangish-brown fur that come, rungs alongside. So we'll see how it looks. Very good. Very good. Dan, how's your hobby table looking? Uh, I am painting Yndrasta and a few castigators okay. at the moment. Um, and the Yndrasta is meant to be my entry for uh, for Nova, actually, for Capital Palette. Um, we, they have the Journeyman division, which is mm-hmm. the division where you don't have to be a pro painter. There isn't just a first, second, and third. They've got, like, however many golds they're going to give out, however many silvers, however many bronzes. Um, and at least the way they, the way they sold it was... Um, as something where it's like you know these are gaming miniatures you are not a professional painter just come here and have at it and try to paint your best so it's been a while since i've tried to paint something to be the best thing i've ever painted there was a streak last year where it felt like every warcry warband i painted was better than the last one and was the best thing i'd ever painted um but that streak hasn't been live for a while. I painted a lot of Cruel Boys for my Dominion box recently, and they were just like not even in the top three things I'd ever painted. Um, so trying to like go back to upping my game a little bit um, for this one, and th- that's a fun exercise. Um, I'm noticing things. I built the model ages ago when Dominion came out, and I'm noticing like little places where I should have done a better job. Um, like filing it down or things oh, like yeah. that. And I just don't enjoy the modeling part of Warcry. Um, I was pretty impressed uh, about the Yeti story for that reason. Um, but yeah, so I might, once I'm done with this, I might just try to take that as momentum going forward to painting something else for Capital Palette. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how much time allows there. Yeah. Um, uh, that sounds rad. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I know you're coming out here, so uh, I'm I'm excited to see your Indrasta. I've got she's primed in gray. She's been zenithalled, and she's staring at me right now, uh-huh. right this moment. <laughs> Why aren't you painting me? Um, and uh, yeah, I I decided to pull out my Cursed City box uh, because I still have a couple of unpainted models in there. And I think that I'm going to be bringing some of them to the uh, Gen Con Nova or uh, Gen Con Warcry tournament. So I, I think I'm going to bring a Soulblight Gravelord list, uh, the one that's on our website. Uh, it's sure. got two Vicros Bloodborns. It's got a Necromancer. Um, I think I've got a Vampire Lord in there, maybe, um, and a bunch of zombies. Uh, and I think a Vargeist as well. So. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to be, you know, so I got to, I got to paint some of those up. In fact, it's the Vicros Bloodborns in particular that I got to paint up. And I think that I might, I have a Necromancer now, but I've never liked the, the work, like this, you know, Games Workshop Necromancer. Mm -hmm. So I think I might use, um, the, uh, I can't remember his name, but he's from Cursed City. He's the dude with the candle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, let me. I'll see if I can find him. Um, 
real quick, but yeah, I know exactly which one you mean. Yeah, he's a dude with a candle, and um, and uh, oh, here it is. He is. And he has a crow on his shoulder, right? He's um, Torgilius, Torgilius the Chamberlain. Yeah, and he's got this crow, and he's got a little dog friend and a staff. Yeah, that's going to be a perfect necromancer. That's a great idea. He's the right base size, right, for it because he's on a forty mil. So um, I think the necromancer's on a forty mil. I'm pretty sure he is. Might be on thirty two. I gotta check it. But I was thinking about it last night as I was painting, and. Oh, great. No, he's on a 32. I just looked at the Necromancer. Well, well but there he's goes kind that of... <laughs> no, he'll fit, he'll fit on a 32. Yeah, yeah. this will be fine. He's got plenty of room on this 40 that they gave him. That's true. That's true. So maybe I'll just pull out a 32 and pop him on there. Because I haven't based him yet or anything like that. So um, anyway, but that was my plan. Because I think I love him as a model, and I, I'd love to work him into like a warband. And I think yeah, that'll uh, be as cool. a Necromancer, he would look really cool. So, um, painting up the Cursed Cities, and then uh, I was planning to do the Myrmidon, um, the Orgoroid Myrmidon for the Capital Palette, but I've got like 40 Dreadblade, Herod- or sorry, uh, Dreadscythe Herodons I need to paint for the Age of Sigmar coming up, too, and I'm just running out of time to paint. between. Well, you know what's cool? is the Warcry tournament is pretty early in the in the weekend, so you could play the Warcry tournament with uh, with your Necromancer and then stick him in Capital Palette as a, a single mini small. That's true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I might I might end up doing that and just paint him up because I have a ticket for the Capital Palette that I that I bought early on. So maybe I'll paint him to you know nice nice and nice and fancy and then put him in there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that'll be good. So anyway, that's um that's kind of my hobby table. I I oh oh the the big news though was I finished all the Warcry terrain that I had incredible bought. this yeah, early. So, yeah. So <laughs> wow, I've got the core set done, Red Harvest done, two sets of Soul Drain Forest done, uh the Sigmarite Mausoleum as well as the Corpse Rack Mausoleum, and um the Azerite Ruins and then a Blasted Hollow Heart set. So wow. yeah, That's I finished incredible. all that terrain. So I have oh, and what I did not realize is that the blasted hollow heart box, it came with basically half the set of the Azerite ruins Warcry box. Oh, um, and perfect. it was like half the price, right? Which was fine, but it came with a full Age of Sigmar board, but it was essentially four Warcry boards in the box. So. That's great because I've got more terrain than boards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it came with essentially four Warcry boards in that box. So I'm so now I'm you have a ton of boards. Yeah, I've got twelve boards actually that I can set up, and probably I, I could I could I could fill out twelve twelve um, boards I think, which wow. uh, I think is going to be great. And we might need to. We might yeah. get up to 24 people. So, Yeah, I think we're sitting at like cool. 16 right now, 15 or 16. Okay. So it'd be so, like as of the tournament registrations. Yeah. 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 I think there'll be some too like within the last like couple weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Um, but yeah, that's that's my hobby thing. So I was, I was happy to um, get done with the terrain and then like start painting models again. I'm like, this feels weird. 
This feels weird because like mm-hmm. painting terrain is a whole different bag, you know? <laughs> like I don't care about the state of my yeah. brushes. I'm just like slapping paint on it and dry brushing like crazy and mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. So anyway. Uh yeah, okay, cool. Uh we had a big announcement on Sunday, obviously. If you turn tuned into the Twitch stream for Warhammer, you saw the skirmish uh, live reveal and they had a lot of great stuff in there um they had some good stuff from uh from necromunda they had some good stuff from kill team some of those kill team models i was drooling over uh like the navy the naval breachers like those models looked amazing um and the crew dog i think everybody was loving that um for kill team i really liked all of the crew models actually um, oh yeah the dude with the bow looked really cool too mm-hmm yeah, they they gave them more of a sinister like war torn feel than um, kind of just things crawling out of the woods like they kind of mm-hmm. have right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wasn't paying attention yeah. during crew time. Is that um, were they done to be like they're part of the greater good? They're part of um, that whole faction, or is it like these are sort of crews that haven't been indoctrinate, not indoctrinate, but you know, like brought into the Tau yet? I think that they are definitely still part of the greater good, but you get the impression that they have fought alongside of the Tau, and now they've kind of they are for some reason in their own little group off on their own right now. Like for example, one of the crews is actually holding a Tau. Uh, what are they called? The Pulse Rifle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so they definitely still have the influence of their Tau. I guess you yeah. could call them overlords, but uh, mm-hmm. um, there is no Tau in this warband. Or I guess not warband, but whatever they're called, kill team. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and I got the impression, too, that they, like, this was taking place on kind of a Space Hulk. Uh, and I know that there was, like, rumors about, like, Space Hulk terrain that there might be in this kill team. But that turned out not to be the case. They, they didn't really tease a lot of terrain for this Kill Team box that's coming out. Um, but, yeah, it would, but I, I liked it. I loved the, the naval breachers to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, that dude with the shield with the with the bolter, like, poking over uh-huh. the top. That's pretty amazing. cool. <laughs> it looked really cool. So, um, but, of course. I'll, I will say that yeah. there okay. is some pretty heavy extreme highlighting uh, approach oh, yeah. going on with the, with those models, but uh, I think that model where he's got the the cutout and the shield to hold to hold his gun, that's a pretty awesome idea. I like that. Yeah, it looked it looked pretty rad. Uh, but of course, this you know this was again the skirmish uh, reveal. So the ones that we were very interested in was the new war cry. It had been teased last reveal that a new edition was coming out. And uh, Dan, I've got to give a lot of credit to your uh, to your YouTube channel on the Salty Sea. So if there's any listeners that um, want are craving for more Warcry content, go check out Dan Herrera's channel, the Salty Sea, on YouTube because he does an awesome breakdown of like this is a new edition, right? This is the first time they had mentioned that word, I think. Yeah, they kind of danced around it on purpose almost in the first preview, just calling it right. an expansion. It almost seemed like, you know, they hadn't decided internally what to call it yet or something. I could, couldn't tell, but this time they, uh, they seem to settle on edition, which makes sense. I mean, the entire logo is changing, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so that means we can expect a few changed rules. They said that 
that we wouldn't be, they mixed their metaphors a little bit, but they said they, we wouldn't be relearning the wheel. Um, <laughs> I was but, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, um, we're pottery now or doing pottery? Like, or like they the didn't reinvent the wheel and so we won't be relearning. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> either way, so they said that there would be very few rules changes. Um, and we'll probably get to this in a bit, but they did end up the next day revealing probably like a pretty mind-blowing r- <laughs> rules change. But um, until then, you know, we can start with the models because that's what they showed on Sunday. And yeah. that's what really excites the most people, right? Yeah. So we've got two war bands uh, and they had kind of teased them before, right? We had the Horns of Hashut war band and the Rottmeyer Creed war band. And uh, the Horns of Hashut has Jason's favorite aesthetic in all of Warhammer, the bovine helmets. Right, Jason? <laughs> He's shocked. He I just don't get it. I don't know why. <laughs> I, yeah, seriously, I don't understand the practicality of putting a giant double helmet on top of your helmet with horns coming out of it. Like, I get, I can get, like, I can get the aesthetic of, you know, it's... It's like maybe it's your warband has a god, like a bovine deity, and it's like this honor to wear the deity, a representation of the deity in your in your um you know your piece. But like I'm telling you, man, like if they be like you have been you have been given the high rank of blah blah blah, you may now wear the helmet. I'd be like, no thanks, I'm not wearing that in a battle. <laughs> I decline. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's so impractical. All you gotta do, you don't like. I don't even have to hit your head. I just have to hit a two meter square around your head to knock your head to the side. Now, <laughs> but anyways, Dude, I so I played I played rugby right, and I was uh, a front row uh, in the scrum. And so those who played rugby know what I'm talking about. But you you're the dude that ends up crashing into the other guys, like as you're you know pushing each other. And during the season, my neck would get like super thick and just really hard because, you know, you're putting so much like pressure and weight on it. I can only imagine how strong these guys' necks must be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's like, it. Maybe from birth, they're, they're, you know, they're doing stuff to strengthen their necks. Like an ox, dude. Like an ox. Yeah. It has to like, be. <laughs> like, like, an, like a bull. Like, a, like a, almost like a bull. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. A bovine. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So. So, I don't Dan, how do you feel about the aesthetic of the horns of Hashut? So, I'm actually so I'm not as extreme about not liking the helmet on top of the helmet, but I'm kind of on a similar page of like it doesn't really do it for me. Um the thing that I do like, we don't have a lot of armored skirts yet, and that was very much like I think a lot of different cultures created armored skirts yeah. throughout yeah, the, plated, the plated skirt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, throughout history. So I think that that's kind of a cool touch for them to finally bring that's that a into point. a warband. Um, I think that's that's my main positive for them. You know, I probably won't be like thrilled about them, but I'm definitely going to paint them up um, just because I'm going to try out some new, like some new metallic recipes and just see. Ooh just kind of explore paint them, you know, just kind of mess around with it and then see once I get to something. Cause you know, it's just uh, it's metallic skin and then there's some cloth. The only part that I think is going to be a pain to paint is the, uh, like the rings on top of cloth that come down. Oh, yeah. Uh, it always so is. the, yeah. So the rest of it, even though it's not my favorite, I think I'll, I'll definitely have a good time painting it. So 
I might be the odd man out. I actually like these. I like them. I like the aesthetic because it it almost feels like a weird like Sumerian kind of aesthetic. You know, so uh-huh. you're talking like ancient Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. You know, aesthetic with um kind of like you know these weird pagan god type things. Um, and so I kind of like it. I don't. I, I'm not sure that I like the painting scheme that they chose for them. I think I think sure. I would lean heavily into Bronze Age stuff with them. So I'd be looking at um, irons and bronze, right? Maybe not even irons, like irons, like just bronze, bronze. From oh the yeah, because you know? they've got some polished steels in there, yeah. and you would just go like any silver metal would be much darker, and then some yeah. of the gold metals would be much brighter. Yep, that'd be yep. cool. So and and I think like one of them has like more like ebony skin. Mm-hmm. I think I would lean into that too, so okay. that it would make the bronze like pop more, you know. So yeah. that's that's kind of how I don't know. I I like it. I'm very interested in the gun that the dude has. Like, there's one guy that has like a looks like a a musket, or I guess it's a yeah. flamethrower, right? So there's a bag on one end. So maybe that means flamethrower. I don't know. I don't I don't really know how it's supposed to work. I'm not I'm not a physicist. Yeah. It's kind of interesting though, because um, it's like a flamethrower gun. So um, we obviously there's there's guns in Warcry, right? Cities of Sigmar has guns, so that's not like revolutionary. But if it's a th- flamethrower, that might be revolutionary. Yeah, and Maybe. Ko has guns too, and yep. I wonder if they're hashit. You know, there was that big thing of people complaining that these weren't Chaos Dwarves. So I wonder if they're like allied with some Chaos Dwarves, and so that's where they're getting gun technology from who knows yeah yeah uh the next war band the the uh rottmeyer creed war band um i dig these guys what do, what do you guys think of them i like them a lot i love the paint job that they put on them initially yeah yeah uh it's it's great um i love the models they look they're so interesting to me uh you know living in a you get this feeling that they've lived in a swamp. It's just how they've been raised. Uh, you know, they've got their little stilt thingies, which you're seeing a couple of them do at least. But uh, kind of like the what's the other war band? The Bird War Band. Oh, Corvus, uh, Cabal. Corvus Cabal. Yeah, they've kind of got that little. At least a couple of them have that kind of stilt thingy feel. Not yeah. all these guys have it, but a couple of the models do. And the Unmade um, have it too. I think it works. Yes, I right. think it really works for these guys. I think so too. Um, I just really like the aesthetic. I like the whole kind of like bamboo um, uh, part of their culture. Like you know, they've got the bamboo armor skirts. They've got one of them's mm-hmm. holding what looks like a blow dart kind of gun thingy, yeah. yep. and uh, the shield's made out of it. The one guy's got the face mask. I I just I, it feels very coherent to me. All of the models, mm-hmm. and I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. This might be one of the first things where I'm. Uh, in a long time where I'm excited to paint it box art style. Yes. Um, yes I haven't I painted box art in, man, I can't remember the last time. It must have been like three years ago the last time I painted box art. Um, so really excited about them. I I also just love um, like fit Nurgle, you know, like yeah. athletic yeah, Nurgle models. Blight King boys. Yeah, I mean, Blight Kings are are fit in their own way, like, really strong, like, offensive <laughs> linemen strong. strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, like, I mean, you know, like, soccer, these guys are 
maybe more muscly than a soccer player, but you know what I mean? Like, um, like fit, sort of athletic, um, kind of build on Nurgle models. You almost never see it. So I think that's really cool. Um, also kind of the moss that's growing on their cloaks. I just love that piece. Um, and then, I mean, you already kind of touched on it with the bamboo stuff, but then using the beast fangs and then the, just like, regular branches like you just pick up off a tree right like they're not shaping wood at all they're just finding the perfect piece of wood in the jungle and then or in the swamp and then just like fitting beast fangs onto it and it's a perfect weapon i just i really like that um like it's very characterful for me mm-hmm. yeah I, I i mean the, the only thing that i would add i 100 percent agree with all of you what, like what you said the only thing i would add is I mean, and really it's just built upon. I think the greens that they chose for the color, like, are just so fitting, right? It's Nurgle, but it's Swamp Nurgle. And, like, it just really catches the eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, you juxtapose that with the pale, uh, you know, kind of warm colors of the bamboo and even their skin, right? Um, I, I like how they're Nurgle, but they're, like, still mortals. But you can see them starting to rot a little bit. Right, they got yeah. like lesions on their legs, um, but they're not like full in like, like like pox walkers type of you know like at that yeah. point like they're still they're still mortals doing their thing. Um, one of the and I'm putting this in giant air quotes right here uh, complaints is that neither of these warbands you can see their faces very well. I think there's only a couple of models in the uh, horns of Hatchet that you actually see heads. And um, the Rottmeyer Creed, there's one dude who has a skeleton head, basically. It looks like bone, like a bone mask, maybe. Yeah, um, I think they've got wearing. two like that, actually. And yeah. then one's got a canvas bag on his head. I and... <laughs> love it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like an executioner, right? It does. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but the rest of them, their faces are very obscured by their, their cloaks that they're wearing. And so... That was kind of, they're like, oh, you can't even see their faces. I'm like, dude, I love that about this, though. Mm -hmm. Like, it just makes them feel so, like, sneaky and sinister. And, like, that's kind of what you want in a Chaosy Warband, I feel like. Yeah. You know? That will make it hard to win a painting competition with them. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's... That's not what I paint for, for the most part. Even though I did just share that I'm painting for a competition right now, this is the first time I've ever done that, right? I I don't usually paint that way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a pretty small drawback. So with these two warband reveals, we got a very good look at the terrain here. Now, this is a very big departure from the terrain sets that we have seen, right, which are usually ruins with makeshift platforms on them. Um, even with Red Harvest, it was you. They're the pumping stations for the Varanite, and so you still had platforms and you know even little barricades and ruins that you could put out as a scattered terrain. Uh, you do get some of those barricades and and things in the scattered terrain here, but uh, the terrain's got a very very different aesthetic. Uh, you're looking at a lot of bamboo, uh, some ruined uh, ruined stonework, and then basically a bunch of trees how how are you guys feeling about the tree aesthetic here they're so creepy right (laughs) i i like that about them um i mean i also i said this a little bit in my video but you don't get a sense of what the mortal realms are yet because 
AOS setting is still too new, right? Mm -hmm. So for them to come to a new part of the realms and just... I've never seen a tree like this before. I've never seen anyone do a tree like this before, right? To me, that's just like, I just love the innovation of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It has a very, very different feel than the Awakened Wildwoods that Mm -hmm. are basically the standard tree in Warhammer, right? Um, So very, very different feel. Uh, what's interesting, I think in your in your video you talked about like how at the ends of the branches it looks like they have claws, uh, maybe and and who knows what there might be some terrain rules. I think they hinted at those and and those might have play uh, a factor in it. But if you consider those claws, if you look at the trees themselves, it almost looks like the bark is like a musculature form, right? They almost look like biceps and triceps or you know muscles on muscles to make these trees bend and move. Um, that's kind of the impression that I got when I was looking at them. Yeah, I was going to yeah. chime in and say I don't think they're actually trees. That's my opinion. Look, <laughs> when I look at them, they look like uh, a living organic – I mean, no trees are living, but uh, like an organic-ish thing, um, stationary predator monster thing, maybe a plant. But I don't know. I, I look at it as a muscular a muscular thing that has thorns and there's probably some gaping maw in there that you can't see right now. Yeah. Just waiting yeah. to grab you and, and suck you in. Uh, especially like if you look at some of them, it looks almost like, um, like there's one piece that is the largest, I think the largest platform that has the skull of an animal next to it. That tree is kind of looks like it's, it's bending over. That one looks like it had a leg and it stepped into the skull. <laughs> it does. It didn't. Yeah. It doesn't look like it grew out of the skull. It looks like it stepped into the skull when it planted itself where it is. Oh, it kind of does. Yeah. Anyway, some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's. Uh, I think it's uh, really interesting. Again, I love the bamboo aesthetic about it. I I kept thinking of like, how am I gonna paint that? You know, how am I gonna paint that bamboo? But um. But uh, I, you know, what I think is interesting is the bridges that would connect the platforms. Like they're kind of like curvy bridges that give them that sway bridge feel, you know. Um, yep. And I would love to see some rules around like falling off bridges, maybe a little bit better than what we even have now, you know. Like maybe even on any hit, you have to like roll to see if you fall off. That'd be interesting to me. Yeah, me too. Um, Red Harvest had a really cool first step into making the board interactive, but overall I didn't like it because it was either not impactful or just way too impactful, yeah, uh, yeah. where it would just totally swing the game. So um, these I'd like to see something in between, and who knows what the what the like grasping claws themselves could could do to you, right? Um, right? Like I wonder if you end up finishing a move right next to one if something happens to you uh, i'd be very curious yeah so one of the and and i always kind of bring up the uh the criticisms right one of the criticisms is this isn't um enough platforms or it's not enough um it's not the same amount of terrain as like in the core box right um i don't i don't know if i agree with that criticism uh i think i think that there's plenty of terrain here i do think it's different it ignores a lot of vertical there's only a few platforms that are in here compared to uh, the core box had quite a few platforms. And obviously Red Harvest had um, many, many platforms and big ones too that you could have full 
almost pretty much full-on battles on each platform. Um, these ones seem a little bit smaller. They seem a little bit more narrow. There's not as many. So um, what I think is interesting is that as I was looking at the terrain, I think, you know, we, we on our website, when we're talking about, you know, units that are good or bad, a lot of times we say, hey, you know, because this has the the uh, mounted rune mark, like it's not a great choice if there's a lot of terrain around. And if you're playing on this table, I think that that equation changes a little bit. Yeah, I think so too, because it'll be harder to get up to hide from the mounts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm uh, curious to see the yeah, price of the. They haven't released the price yet, right? No. Right. No. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see the price because I will agree. I feel like there is significantly less terrain than what comes in the core. So mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think number of models from the original starter set. The original starter set, it's almost got uh, probably you know about the same number of models in both yeah. war bands, card content, board, dice, tokens, all that jazz. It even has you know the core book and a and this new warband tome, uh, but it doesn't have a lot of terrain relative to the the first box. So if the price is right up there at the same, I would probably feel a little robbed feeling like mm -hmm. I wasn't getting as much plastic for my money, to be honest. Oh, I think with inflation, it's going to be more. The first box that came out was, what, 150 Well, I think relative. Okay, I'm talking, okay. Uh, sure, add a relative, uh, an inflation yeah. multiplier on it and a COVID multiplier and all that jazz, right? But Yeah, so I think I it's, just feel I, like I, think I could agree. I could see that. I could see that. But I could yeah. agree with people saying I feel like there's not, like maybe I would have expected two more trees right, mm -hmm. right. in, in yeah. this box. Or, or another platform system or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like know? that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, you mentioned, Jason, that the core rule book was in here. Uh, just really quickly, lightning round. They said there's going to make some changes to some of the rules, but not that many. Uh, one rule each that you do not want to see changed. <laughs> oh, okay. You first, Dan. <laughs> um, the dice roll at the beginning of each round. I would love, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I really like the dice mechanic. I think it's really elegant. Um, it's a really elegant way to bring resource management into a game without adding any more pieces, right? Because yeah. you need dice anyway to play, right? So just roll some dice, um, right? And it's just like you use the exact same pieces that we're already using and the, the, just like building this seamless resource management mechanic into the game. I think it's just really, really elegant. And that's, I think, part of what makes Warcry so good. Yeah. Jason, what about you? Huh. Yeah. He stole yours, uh, didn't he? He did. Um, <laughs> I totally did. But it's such a, it's such a, and I understand why, right? It's such a deline a differentiator for the game. But, um, I would say, uh, and I don't think this will change at all. But I, I love the, um, I love the, and I'm gonna get the name wrong because I'm playing so many games right now. But the disengage rule, where if you want to, if you want to do anything other than than attack the person that you're currently base to base with, you have to take a disengage action. Uh, mm. And move. Yeah. What is it? It's out. Uh, you, you can move up, three inches. Up you got to be inches. one inch outside, right? Yep. Outside yep. of an, an enemy. I love that because it it puts so much into skirmish games. You can throw little fifty five point models at a big three hundred point model, 
which forces them to either lose, you know, it, it, it you can force them to lose uh, specials that involve charging or just have them lose an action. Yeah. Um, and so there's so much you can do uh, with that rule being um, a mandate in the game. I don't think that'll change. I think that's been a th- something that's been part of all of Games Workshop games and will always be. But th- that is one that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I was going to be worried about a rule that would change, I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess we'll probably talk about it a little bit later. But I worry about, I worry about abilities that don't require the dice, the doubles and the triples. Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. that has such been such a core part. So adding, adding the ability, f- I'll say it this way: adding gimmicks in a warband that don't require dice to spend. That mm-hmm. that worries me. So let's so let's get into it then, because um, part of what sorry, you're sorry. alluding to. I've got oh. I've got one I've got I've got one. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah, one yeah, to change. Yeah. I've yeah. been holding this one. I've been holding this one. <laughs> okay. I want I want the single attack dice roll. I do not want that to go away. Oh um, yeah, Good you know point. where where you you're either rolling single a three, four, five, or six, and it do, it goes straight through for damage. I don't want there to be a save oh, roll oh, added in so there. There's no save. I, yeah. Oh, you please, know what I mean? Yes, like that's I, a great one. I don't. I don't. I just. I. Th- I don't want to slow down because I that's think being able to roll up. those. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's what makes Warcry actually really, really good is just being able to say, okay, what's your toughness? What's my strength? This is what I need to roll. Boom. There's the damage. Let's let's move on. Um, I don't want to see that go away. Yeah. No save, please. Oh my goodness. We'd yeah. just be playing mini AOS at that point. Yeah. So and and Kill Team went that way, which I mean kind of makes sense with Kill Team, right? Like they've got a long tradition with that kind of stuff. So. Um, oh, Kill Team I, has save rolls? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, deal yeah. breaker. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right. So now let's get into it. So one of the new things that was spotted, um, and I think that you pointed this out, Dan, when I like linked the article when I first saw it, right, was reactions. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited, but uh, Jason, you, you hit the nail on the head of what could go wrong. But I am I am really excited. Um, so so far we only have one example of a reaction, uh, which is uh, for, from the horns of Hashut. It's called Breath of Cinder and Smoke, which I think is a great name. Um, a fighter can make this reaction when an enemy fighter finishes a move action within three inches of them. Roll a dice. If the roll is equal to or greater dot 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 we don't know what actually happens um yeah what do you guys think there's a lot there's a lot of different directions lots of different bits of speculation we could take this in so one in my opinion we're both, one... we're both looking at each other's uh <laughs> mic volume right, who's gonna talk who's gonna... yeah right um, <laughs> so first off we don't see what's at the bottom of that card and i think on purpose right gw totally oh, placed that there as like the teaser <laughs> Um, which, which we don't see, we don't see if that actually costs anything, right? Like it might say at the bottom of it, like, you know, a a single or a double or something like that, um, for the reaction. So one, we don't know if it actually costs anything Two, we like, it looks like any fighter, um, can do this. So it makes me wonder if it's a once per round thing or if it's, uh, like, Anytime during the round, they can do that, which 
I would kind of feel like that would be a little overpowering, don't you think? If every fighter got a reaction like that. Well, here's they've what I, got. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go on. Um, uh, here's what I think is going to happen. I think there's going to be a base rule that you pay dice to be able to set up a reaction. Kind of like in uh, D&D where you can use an action to set up uh, in a, uh, what's it called? In advance? No. Uh, man, what's it called? Come on, Justin. Come um, on, it's your... <laughs> preparation. You're, you're making... You're preparing yeah, preparation. Or, yeah, you're preparing yeah, an you're action. You're preparing an action. So I could see that, like, reactions could just be specific to warbands, but there's a generic 2.0 rule, or 3.0, whatever version we're not in there, because the 2.0... We'd be in a generic 2.0 rule that maybe you spend the, you spend one of your free wild dice or you spend just a double to trigger or to install a reaction for next time. Right. I think that there's going to be a cost for getting a reaction, which means that not every I don't think everyone would be able to do it. Okay. That's my that's my opinion. So I think you know, it's I think Phil, that's a I'm I'm a firm believer that Things need to cost something. Yeah. Right? So feel free, Games Workshop, to reprint the core book now. You still got time. You know, <laughs> just update all the boxes. And... Um. So the one thing I was noticing was, so the place where you can actually read what the reaction is, you can't see the Rottmeier Creed one behind it. Mm-hmm. Um. But later you can, and so these reactions are attached to rune marks. Oh, that's so yeah, horns of a should. Has the Horns of Hashut rune mark and the Warrior rune mark, oh, that's a good point. which to me tells me that only the Warriors in Horns of Hashut can do it. Now I don't know which ones are going to have the Warrior keyword. I assume it's the armored ones, and then because like half their warband has really heavy army armor, half of it doesn't. Um, I assume it's the armored ones that'll have this, and the unarmored ones won't. Um, could be wrong there. Who knows? And then the Rottmeier Creed reaction, it only has the Rottmeier Creed rune mark. So I assume that all of them will be able to. And we know it's on something completely different um, because it's templated totally differently than, uh, than Breath of Cinder and Smoke is. So whatever it is they react to is just totally different than what Horns of Hashut reacts to. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think that part's really cool. Like, it's not just every warband reacts when you step within three inches of them. It's, you know, because that's a really defensive ability, right? Um, yeah. Because then it, it incentivizes you not to charge someone because then they can attack you without triggering your reaction. And so it incentivizes you to, like, run to the objectives, try to ignore your opponent and have them come to you. Um, it would be a pretty sad game if every warband tried to play super defensively, right? Um, so the fact that different warbands are going to react to different things, um, I'm really excited about that design space. And, but I totally agree with you guys on the cost thing. Um, whether maybe it costs an action, right? Like maybe you can only do it if you haven't acted yet, and then once you do act, you only get one yeah. action. Mm-hmm. Or I've heard people say that it would make the opening dice roll more fair if this used singles. So if you rolled a really bad opening dice roll with very few abilities, well, now there's a consolation prize because you have a whole bunch of singles to use for your reactions. Um, I mean, who knows, right? I yeah. I don't know, maybe, but I 100% agree action. with you guys. Maybe you have to take the wait action, and that, mm-hmm. and that sets you up for a reaction. That way the players know whether or not you're 
uh, set up and ready to go with it. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah. And I, that I'll would work this, because it uses something that's already in the game. And that's yeah, right. ideal. And that's it's the point. And it, uh, so here's a thought, right? So one of the things I love about Warcry is the simplicity of combat. It gets back to kind of your point, Justin, about the uh, the the one dice attack, one dice roll attack, right? There's mm-hmm. no save roll. It's just let's do it. Let's move on and, and get it done. The simplicity of combat, there... Sure. When you sit down and you uh, and you play a game against a warband you haven't played before, the th- the only thing you really may not understand is the attack profile and the special quads and doubles and triples that go along with that warband. But there's no gimmicks about the the way an activation occurs. You move and you can attack. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, one of the problems that I have with like AOS is I I go up to play another warband I've never played. I have no idea what you can do outside of your turn, outside of combat. Like, unless I ask you, what happens if I end two inches away on my turn from your guy? Oh, all of a sudden I've got to start making save rolls because of some spiky, you know, thing you have. Like, if you start adding that kind of stuff in, some people geek out over the complexity, but I think that's exactly what happens. You take a really simple skirmish game, and it's going to make it more complex. Uh, and it's going to make it more. I'm going to have to start memorizing everything about every warband to feel like I can compete at a table. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that every warband is going to have a different thing that happens outside of their own activation. Uh, and then we're going to start really just like wrapping our head around all of these different ways that you play the game. And are you playing the same game I'm playing? Mm-hmm. Which you know is a big problem with AOS is you can depending on the faction you play you could almost be playing a completely different game on the other side of the table yeah i think i think that's fair i I think that's a very valid and fair concern um as i read these reactions they just feel like almost maybe another ability you know and on their Mm -hmm. ability table it just happens at a different part of the game right so the reactions i think clearly mean that it's happening in your opponent's turn because uh, normally you can only activate an ability with your activation. So this is allowing you to do something in your opponent's turn. Um, I think as long as they keep it simple, then I don't have an issue with it. Uh, because, again, it doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't feel like a, oh, uh, hey, I gotcha. Because, you know, you, like you said, you finished two inches away from me and ha, 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 ha. You know, like if you explain the ability like, hey, this is this is my reaction, then, like, I think the way that that's written right there, like you're like, okay, every, you know, if I finish within three inches of a fighter, then they have the ability to do that. And as long as we know what the cost is, like that, it doesn't happen like all the time. I don't, I don't think it'll be too onerous, but I think the concerns there and I, and I, and I think it's valid. To kind of echo Jason's point. I, I feel like maximum, I want to have to absorb three new pieces of information when I meet a new player's war band, right. Or a new opponent's war band. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, right now, I feel like most of the time in Warcry, you have fewer than that. So I guess they've got one to give. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like AOS, I just try to memorize, like, what their best thing does. Like, I I learn about the top, you know, five or six scary things in the game. And then anything else, I'll just remember the first couple things they tell me, let the rest of it go over my head and not really worry (laughs) about it. Um, And if, if they beat me with something that wasn't one of the top 10 things in the meta and I didn't bother to learn about it, you know, I'm not mad about that. Um, With this, I'm hoping it's like, 
I mean, I obviously like obsess over this because of the channel, right? So I can talk about it. But yeah. let's say I it was a new warband I didn't know. You know, if I could just say, all right, I want to figure out what's the best double you've got, what's the triple you're going to use, and what's your reaction, and then that's it. You know, maybe maybe that would be fine for yeah, me. Yeah, it could. I could see it being kept like that. Yeah. But if yeah. there's more stuff beyond reactions, I get that that starts to be a little dicey. Like yeah. if they've got reactions and in my wish listing video, I said I wished for faction artifacts, right? Just only to be like the campaign, but for matched play. Because um, I just think the campaign artifact system is really fun. Um, but now I wouldn't want that, right? Because we've already got this reaction mechanic. I wouldn't mm -hmm. want another thing on top of it. Yeah, it starts to get a little weighty, right? So, mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Any word on when this actually is supposed to come out for pre-order? Isn't it like if, five weeks from when they do the big reveal? Isn't that usually like the... Oh, interesting. I would have guessed, um, let's see, if this... What's this Saturday? I think it'll. I think the pre-order would be the Saturday after this Saturday. Oh, okay. And so then like two weeks. Two weeks from last Sunday, basically, right? Uh, yeah, that's when I would guess. So I think the thirtieth. I think the thirtieth would be when it would come out. Okay. Yeah, I think somebody had talked about like when they did a big, big reveal that it was like five weeks afterwards or something like that, but. Uh, who knows? I, I think Games Workshop's timetables have all sort of been messed up, and they're living in a new reality of global shipping and all that stuff. So, um, I'll be when they did their last it. reveal where they showed us just the trailer for this and nothing else. Yeah. Um, they had some stuff that was new in that reveal come out the very next week, and they also had some stuff that hasn't come out until I think a week ago or maybe two weeks right, ago. Right. So that's true. Um, could be anything, I guess. Is, that's true. Is that's what a that very means. Good, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And they've been they've been like hitting the the um, kill team releases literally like every two months. You know, like that thing's been like clockwork. Um, so yeah, they said they would a year ago, and I almost I don't know if I didn't believe them or if I just didn't um, <laughs> right? like internalize how how much that would be. Yeah, because you're like, dang, like it's a new box every two months, and like half of them, I'm like that looks really cool. I shouldn't get it though, because there's another one coming out, you know. But anyway, and plus I don't really play Kill Team, so you know, another reason not to get those. But I still like them. Um, okay, so yeah, I, I think we're all excited for this Gurkrai edition to come out, and uh, I know it's something that's on my wish list. And so hopefully it comes out sooner than later. I, you know, honestly, what I'm most concerned about is that it comes out like that it comes out like three weeks before the Nova open. And I have to make a decision like three or four weeks before the Nova open. And I have to make a decision. Do we play with the new rules or no? Three would you know. be the killer because two it weeks, be. it's like, no, you can't do it if it's two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Four weeks, it's like, 
really you're gonna let all of this hype just pass you by with all of this time and but three weeks is really tough um, I, know. I know i don't know what i would do if it was three that's that's a tough decision i i hope it's not exactly three weeks before nova that would be really oh. i'd hate to be you if that happens i know you're just like what do you do what do you do so anyway we'll, we'll see we'll see what, the, what what it does all right let's get into our faction breakdown uh this week we're going to be talking about flesh eater courts and uh just like with the ogres we have a flesh eater courts here with us uh player with us today jason you, this was your first warband wasn't it uh it was because i played them in aos and i was it was easy i had the models i already had them all built up i had tons of them because i had you know a 2000 plus point army for aos yeah. So I was able to throw it on the table quick. And uh, I remember I was at Gen Con when Warcry was at least released in North America. And I grabbed the one of the first packs of FEC that was there on the first day so that I could uh, have those cards uh, to throw on the table. Right. I think I grabbed the Night Hot ones, too. I think yeah. I'm standing next to you. I'm like, let's Problem. get them. <laughs> uh, which would prove to be good because those cards sold out super fast. And oh, they yeah. did not want to reprint them. So um, it was good that we got it. Uh, but overall, Flesh Eater Courts, they were like the OG terrifying um, warband out there. Like they were the big bad for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were a lot of fun. And they, uh, you know, we're going to talk through a little bit of it, but they're, they, they're cri the, they had some crazy movement across the board. The Crypt Flare, you know, it moves 10. Mm -hmm. Um so that thing just i remember when i played other you know you yeah other <laughs> initially, people you. <laughs> it was always like i'd throw the crypt player then i'd actually do something that was like a double move and then we we'd both look at it and be like wait where did he start from yeah totally. <laughs> because uh, of how yep. far he moved across the board yeah it was just so like and and, and then those crypt you know the crypt tours and the crypt players then and, and they hit hard right yeah the ghouls are i think you i don't want to jump ahead of of this, but uh, those things, those guys hit hard. They hit hard in AOS too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think what I really liked about them is um, they felt like the same style of power that they were in AOS. So I felt like they act, I felt like they um, accurately represented the, uh, the units transitioning from AOS to Warcry when I put them on the table. I love when they manage that. It's yeah. so great. That's like the oh, the epitome of game design. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think too, um, narratively, like like uh, their narrative story is like one of the like most tragic and kind of fun to play with, right? They're they're basically these cannibalistic ghouls that are like yeah, you know, roaming the countryside, but they think that they are basically these noble. Um, it's you know, delu it's the kingdoms. grand delusion. Yeah, the grand delusion. There's yeah, I was going to say, kingdoms. is it tragic? I mean, they're having a great time, right? <laughs> yeah, it's tra maybe it's tragic for us, yeah, for everyone great. else. <laughs> yeah, the, from a third-person point of view, you're like, oh, so sad. But they, you're right. They're just like, hey, we're going to go you know, live for king and country and all this stuff, right? So um, that really, if you if you want a narrative like Warband, there's nothing better than to come up with some regal backstory of these guys like going out and reclaiming their king's lands, and really they're just these ghouls that are just like feasting on, you know, the other warbands and the eight points or something like that. So narratively, I think that they're very strong, 
um, but they play very strong too. Uh, Jason, you mentioned that their strengths, right? They've got amazing mobility. They've got a lot of attacks. They hit hard. They got a lot of damage, and uh, you know, I mean, they've got uh, they've they don't have a lot of options for their troops, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But do you really need a lot of options if all three of them are actually really good? You know, no. so yeah. <laughs> so there you go, right? Um, so yeah, let's talk about let's talk about some of the leaders. Who are the leaders that you guys would choose? Uh, now, let me just back up real quick. Jason, when you and I first played, it was the original card packs, and we only had limited leaders that we could choose, right? There's only like two or three leaders, but they've since expanded that, and I think that uh, Fletcher de Quartz has, I mean, they expanded it with the Grand Alliance books, and I think Fletcher de Quartz has gotten much stronger because of it, actually. I would agree. Uh, remember, we played, I think the only leaders that were there was the um, the the Infernal Courtier the yep. um what's the name of the uh the hauntier courtier yep mm. and the actual uh ghast courtier which is like the ghoul courtier yeah uh, actually i think they did have the ghoul did they have the ghoul king initially initially as they might leader? have had the ghoul king they i think they had, had the ghoul king. king and they had the vargulf no they didn't have the vargulf courtier originally i don't remember uh but those were they did not have a lot of options obviously the arch regent wasn't there it wasn't it wasn't in that um, out the door. Uh, I don't even think, I can't remember, was was this before Feast of Bones? Um, it was after Feast of Bones. I after think. Feast of Bones, but they still didn't have the Arch Regent in as a potential. Right. Is that true? Because no, you couldn't okay. buy it on its own yet. It was after right. Feast of Bones, that's but it right. was before you could buy it on its own, so that's they didn't right. put it into the game. Yep. Yeah, good. That's why, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So, okay, so now that we've got, now that we know that there's a lot more leader options, um, what what would you say is your your like go to leader if you're making a warband? I guess choose two because like you choose two leaders, right? Why wouldn't you choose two leaders? Yeah, right. I learned that lesson. Uh, <laughs> I think I always liked the uh, crypt, uh, the flying leaders. So the um, crypt infernal. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and courtier, the yeah. yeah courtier and the crypt hauntier courtier were great leaders um, because they're tough. They're super tough. They're like what forty wounds each or something like that. I don't have mm -hmm. it in front of me exactly, yeah. but yeah, forty uh, wounds. So they're gonna they're gonna take a beating, um, and they're gonna they're gonna take a beating. Toughness four. They're gonna stay on the table for a long time. They got crazy movement, which is we talked about. We've talked about on prior episodes. It's so important in this game. Yeah. Uh, crazy movement and they hit hard they uh, you know somewhere around four or five attacks depending on which one you have at uh you know significant crits like you know we're looking at five some of them are fives yeah, i think five they're damage. twos and fives yeah. yeah yeah which is just you know you're you're throwing five dice you're gonna you're gonna get that five point hit in there uh using yeah, that one guy. one attack yeah. you can clear out some of those um chaff like the zombies and in, in soul black gravelord that's 10 wounds right that would normally like take maybe two attacks to take down a crypt hunter courtier that's throwing five dice has a great chance of of killing that zombie yeah well and i'll say you this know? you know and we're talking about leaders but the 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 non-courtier version of those you know the horror and the flayer mm -hmm. they're only one point less in their crit damage you know they drop to a four mm -hmm. uh 
they got less hit points for sure, but they're still 30, man. And, yeah. Yeah. and you can buff them to do, you know, they, they come to the table with four attacks. You can buff them up to, I think, like an additional three if you hit all the right uh, tech, uh, all the right uh, abilities. So those big dudes do massive damage and they stay for multiple rounds. Oh, yeah. So that's why I like, and I like, I've always been a theme player guy. So I like having the courtier with their troops especially with the grand delusion you know you got they're they're oh, yeah. looking at themselves as the general and their their men at arms that are there with them so it makes a lot of sense to me and it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. Dan what what are your two leaders that you would go with um the abhorrent arch regent i think is really cool and it's not what i would put if i were building a list the first thing i would go with i would actually only take one leader and i'd do the crypt infernal courtier because like you said, all that flying, um, I mean, just rolling five dice with five as your crit is pretty incredible. But the Abhorrent Arch Regent is really cool because... So all all these leaders have Bringer of Death, which uh, just boosts your movement through the roof, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the Abhorrent Arch Regent... And the Ghoul King has this too, but um, Stir of the Black Hunger, mm-hmm. where you get to add one to the attacks for everything it's so awesome um within nine inches it's so ridiculous <laughs> nine is so like okay it's big it's, it's like a quarter of the board yeah so <laughs> people probably don't need this math lesson but nine is more than just half again bigger than six inches for that aura right because each additional inch is a wider or is a bigger circle of area so that nine inch bubble just feels huge um so i just think that that uh aoe buff is is really incredible um yeah so i have a i have an arch region i still when i play flesh eater courts i still go with the infernal court here a crypt flare and then like mostly ghouls but um but the arch region is serious business yes yes he is um i i actually for the same reason i like the ghoul king better than the arch region um because he he's um a couple less points almost like 30 points less than the arch region uh, he has 20 access- points less Sorry, 20 points less? Yeah. yeah. That's right. The Arch Regent came down in the uh, TOC right. quite a bit. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, yeah, he's like 20 points less. So, um, he, but he, uh, you know, he's got like, what, three less wounds. And the only difference is that he has one less base damage and one less crit damage. Mm-hmm. So, for for just a little bit less points, um, you get the same the same thing. He has the access to the Stir of the Black Hunter, Hunger and all that. So if you need some points to play with, um, I think the Ghoul King is a great choice, great option mm-hmm. right there. Um, and uh, look, I, I totally agree with you guys about like the Crypt Infernal Courtier and the and the um, Crypt Hunter Courtier. Um, but I'm going to give like an honorable mention to the Vargulf Courtier. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's got, he's got good movement. Um, his ability, the terrifying frenzy makes him like ridiculous, right? Because he has, he normally has three attacks, five strength, base damage, three crit damage, five, right? So he's hitting a lot of times on, on four, uh, threes, right? Threes and, and creating on sixes, obviously. 
Um, but his terrifying frenzy adds half of the value of the ability rounding up to the tax characteristics of the next action, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you've got that strength and that damage profile, um, that can really put a hurt on something like a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can get lucky and just double your attack value with that. Mm-hmm. How much? How many wounds does he have? Um, thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah. Yeah. He so is. I think he's also the most expensive. Eight instead of ten, but that's not that's not heartbreaking. Uh, no, it's that's still very very significant. He's not he's, the most he's not oh, the yeah. most expensive, but he's probably midway in the leadership. He mm-hmm. is the same cost as a crypt hunter courtier. So uh, ten points less now. Actually. No, I'm not even looking at the TLC. I need to pull that up. Obviously, Justin, let's get the let's get with the program, <laughs> Justin. It's okay. So, all right, so he's ten points less then. Yeah. Okay. No, but that's to your point though. Is yeah. you know that he's priced to move for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he's an honorable mention. I do think that I would probably go with the, um, the the crypt haunter. Uh, no, sorry, the crypt infernal courtier over him um just because you've got those five attacks built in and you've got a little bit extra movement um Mm -hmm. but i mean don't sleep on him don't sleep on him i think he's great uh i think that the weakest leaders and i'm just gonna throw this out here real quick and we're just gonna kind of brush over the weakest leaders are pretty typical the leaders coming out of the standard troops right so that's like your your crypt gas, your crypt infernal, your, and your crypt haunter, which is basically like the quote unquote sergeants out of the, out of the mm-hmm. you know AOS boxes. I've found a lot of the time they're not really worth the points. Um, they don't bring that much value to um, the table. Like it's better to go with other leaders than them a lot of times, um, just because especially in flesh eater courts, I think that the troops themselves bring enough to the table that you don't need them as the leader. There's other better options out there. And usually so. for my leader, I'm looking for something really high impact. And yeah. the, uh, the, for 115 and 130 points, the, the two different, uh, like crypt ghoul leaders, they just sit in that middle points area where it's just not, you know, it's not cheap enough to, mean you're really saving much from them and it's not high impact enough to really make your opponent change the way they play i mean you know the either of the abhorrence either of the like big flying leaders they just completely your your opponent has to play scared of them the whole game right um even when you lose with flesh eater courts your opponent is still playing scared the entire time right and uh those man those crypt or those ghoul leaders just don't don't do that at all yeah yeah and and i think that that was one of the biggest departures from you know Warcry 1.0 i I guess you could argue we're like 1.3 or 4 right now something like that you know when it first came out like those those little um krypton those uh those crypt gas were like one of the leaders and you're like okay he's little (laughs) You know, yeah. and that wasn't even the big bad because the big bads were like the troops that were there, right? The mm-hmm. crypt flares and crypt whores. And let's uh, let's t- talk about them because I think that they really steal the show in this warband. Yeah, you don't have a single bad option. It's really wonderful. I mean, so ghouls. It's funny. It's the exact same stat line as a uh, as a plains runner from Untamed Beasts. Uh-huh. Um, so. 
the, the funny thing is planes runners don't get to be supported by a giant terrifying flyer um although those cats are pretty good right but they're they're just perfect because they they move five inches so they can get around the board pretty quickly and then their damage so they can't like charge something and do a big impact but if you charge into a cloud of ghouls where you you know there's three of them on an objective and you run up onto the objective uh, the damage actually adds up pretty quickly from ghouls in a way that not every chaff model really gets to say mm-hmm. to say that. And I think it comes down to their three attacks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because their strength three isn't anything to write home about, and their one and three damage isn't like... I mean, that's like skeleton-level damage, but I think it's the three attacks, and if you've got a bunch of them, like, it's just death by a thousand cuts mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, I I look at them and I see them as bodies on objectives and something that's going to make you burn an action with your big guy to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying 55 points for your big guy to have to hit something, like I said earlier in the podcast, either going to have to hit something or waste an action moving away so you can actually do something significant. Yeah. I think that's the real stat line that we should care about is that they're 55 points. Yeah. Right. And that's like, like you said, it's a body to be a speed bump if you need it. It's a, something to get in the way. It's something to hold on to objective. But for 55 points, like the next closest cost is the sergeant of it, right? Which is like the the crypt gas. And that's um, almost double of what it is. I think it is double, right? It's 110. Um, yep. Yeah. There's, so it, there's so it new cheap things in the uh, underworld warband, but we'll, talk about that last i yeah, think that's true yeah that's true so um but look the, the the big the big one is i think if you were to choose between a crypt horror or a crypt flare what would you what would you go for if you got the points it's a flare in my opinion the flying is significant agreed yeah the flying is absolutely worth 50 points they've got the exact same uh, offensive profile Yep. Uh, and I think the same defensive profile too, actually. Yes. Uh, um, yes, I do. Yes. I so do. it's you're paying for that four-inch move and the flight keyword, which when you just reduce it down to that, it doesn't sound like that would be worth fifty whole points. But in my experience, it is. Um, just because you want to deliver your power, you know, you want to put. You want to put your scariest pieces where they need to be, right? And so it seems like that flying is just, it feels so worth it when you play with them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it, you said this, right? It's a four inch difference in move as well, um, which is significant. Like the Iron Jaws, that is their entire movement. is <laughs> four inches, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't really go that far. More and than so that, adding, yeah. You know, adding an additional four inches to movement and with the fly keyword on top of that, right? So if you need to get up on a platform, that's that's inter- that's inches that the Crypt Horror doesn't have. Uh, now, with that said, if you don't have the points for the Crypt Flayer and you're like, oh, shucks, I got the Crypt Horror. I mean, there's a lot worse options out there in all of Warcry than you could do with a Crypt Horror, obviously. Yeah, six movement is still uh, very good in this game. I, it's, I mean, it's above average, isn't it, Dan? Isn't six movement above yeah, average? Yeah, well above average. I mean, yeah. it's really interesting. I think 
most people like me i don't run crypt horrors at all um it sounds like you don't either i think most people that's true but i think that a lot of factions would play crypt horrors as one of their main things and even in this i mean it's not the main build but you could do a build based off of that crypt horror ability which i think is pretty good uh chosen of the king if they're within six inches of a friendly visible leader uh you get to add two to their attacks um which is pretty good um that yeah. turns Undouble? them into real yeah. blenders yeah um because then you're rolling i think you roll six dice once you do that right yeah. so yes. that's a pretty incredible output to have um I think it'd be something where you'd want to have two leaders and then probably at least two of these horrors. So you're looking at a really elite warband. Um, but I think you could have a really good time with it. Uh, the only thing is, like, Warcry is so much about, like, objectives and about, you know, area control that, you know, you kind of, you either want the bodies or the ability to travel really far. Um Damage output is really important. It's probably the most important stat, but it's not all important to the way that you want to like sacrifice everything else just to get more damage output. Mm -hmm. um, and I do worry that to build around um, to build around Chosen of the King, you'd kind of have to do that. That's true. Um, it's funny because I've got my list up on our website, and for those of you who are listening, we have our tabletop and beyond. Uh, dot com website uh, we have a warcry section dedicated to that we've been working on getting uh faction pages up and uh so you can go and see some of our analysis you can see some uh, sample lists that we have up there i put my list up and um i have an important ghoul king a crypt infernal courtier two crypt horrors two crypt goals and that comes out at 9.95 so um i was leaning into that uh that that double there of uh, the the chosen of the king and um i was going to put a crypt horror the first crypt horror into the dagger the ghoul king and a crypt infernal into the hammer two crypt girl ghouls and a crypt horror into the shield um and just kind of let it go that was the, that was the plan mm -hmm. i'd like to try it out but we'll see well i've got the models if you that's want right to. that's right <laughs> that's right so um, but yeah, I, you know, it just reminded me of your saying like, you know, like the crypt horrors can be pretty good. And I would have taking two leaders there, one of which was the crypt infernal courtier. I was running out of points pretty quickly. So, um, mm -hmm. I decided to yeah. drop down and, and take the horrors instead and, you know, say, okay, well, like just knowing that I'm going to let my infernal basically be the power projector and, um, let the horrors go and do their work where they need to. So. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, now, there is a Bladeborne Underworlds model faction. It's the Grimwatch, and uh, with Duke Crackmarrow and his and his group. Um, Dan, what do you what do you think of this uh, warband um, as a supplement to FEC? Uh, I think they're pretty interesting. I think they've got some like different sorts of play styles that they let you do. Uh, most of the fighters are not anything to write home about. Duke Crackmarrow is a better version of the um, ghoul leader, the, the Crypt Ghast. But as we already talked about, being a better version of the we weakest leader in the faction still doesn't make you very good, right? <laughs> it yeah. just makes you like uh, go from bad to 
to passable. So that's that's where I would say do crack marrow kind of sits is kind of just passable. I wouldn't play him um, unless you were just kind of doing it for the the flavor of it all. Uh, the ones I would play, there are some bats in here that okay. are called Duke's Harriers. 10-inch move, 75 points, uh, 8 wounds, and then a strangely respectable damage profile. Uh, they get 4 attacks on that same 1-3 profile as the uh, ghouls do, so they do more damage than a ghoul. Um, they fly 10 inches. They only have 2 toughness, so they, they go down to other chaff units in a way that, um, you know, ghouls are pretty fragile too, but like these are even more so but for the most part i think that they're really usable as um you know as a piece that can fly around to to get to the most important parts of the board uh put some damage around um in any of those like hunter missions these are great at playing keep away like if these are in the deployment group that you have to keep alive um <laughs> your opponent's going to have a terrible time catching up to them uh so I think Duke's Harriers is pretty good. That's those are the bats in there. So the interesting thing is that if you don't want to get the whole, you know, if, if that's the one unit that you want, and you don't want to get the whole Underworlds band, if you have Cursed City, there are some fantastic bats that look exactly mm -hmm. like it. Yeah. In there, there are two big bats that uh, that you could easily use as uh, as proxies. Um, if you if you have the Curse City box as well, so um, I agree. I mean, this is like you know the 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 Grim Watch is basically a collection of ghouls, um, crypt ghouls with dif differing stats here or there. More attacks, less attacks. More damage, less damage. More you know stronger toughness. Yada yada yada. Uh, actually, they all have lame toughness uh, at three. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, the only the only ghoul I'd say that's worth looking at is uh, Master Talon at least does more damage than a regular ghoul does, so that right. could be a little bit worth it, but most of the time they're just more expensive ghouls, but the only thing you actually get is uh, just the two extra wounds, which isn't really worth it, but for Master Talon having two extra wounds and an extra attack for 20 points uh you wouldn't you wouldn't base like you wouldn't spam master talon but if mm -hmm. you've got 20 points in your list why not well and he's got access to the double which is the royal uh, decree right mm -hmm. and he has the grim watch remark and the minion remark and um so my only issue with that double is that only duke crack marrow can use it Oh, and I'm just not excited to use Duke Crack Marrow. He's not bad, oh, but absolutely right. he doesn't thought, make I me excited. I thought he could trigger it, but you're right. It's only Duke Crack Marrow that can, that can call for it. Never mind. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. the um, I, I think that's Flesh Eater Quartz in a nutshell. I do want to call out, though, the quad ability for Flesh Eater Quartz is actually really, really good. It's usable by anybody in the warband. And it says this this fighter makes a bonus move action, then they can make a bonus attack action. In addition, add one to the attacks characteristics of that action if this fighter is within is within one inch of a visible friendly fighter. So you know, you can absolutely, especially with your flyers, right? You could, if you get a quad, bring them in like a freaking like stealth bomber. And come mm -hmm. in and just lay waste, especially if like you got a little another little model right there. You're you're making a bonus move, a bonus attack, so you could potentially be doing three attacks after moving, 
um, with adding one to your attack um, attacks characteristics as well. So I think that quad is very powerful. Uh, we've said many times, don't build your warband around a quad. But by gosh, if you get that, if you get that quad and you can get that off, like it is really good. Really, well, it's really just good. it's just rampage plus one, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And since almost every faction in the game has a worse quad than rampage, the fact that these guys just get an upgraded rampage as their quad is uh is very silly. Yeah. In yeah. a good way. And I think and and again, it's also pairing it with the model too, right? Because like you do rampage with like iron golems, and you're like, ooh, yay, you know. <laughs> but you do mm -hmm. it with a crit flare, and all of a sudden, like that is significant. Sure. So, I mean, that's not Rampage's no. fault. That's Iron Golem's yeah, fault. Don't you blame yeah, yeah, Rampage that's true. for? That's true. I'm not blaming. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Very true. Um, do you guys have any ideas of like lists that you would run with this? Um, I know what I ran when I first played Warcry before I understood Warcry. <laughs> 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 and you know, I was just throwing lots of ghouls and a flare and a horror. I had like two horrors, a flare, and then the rest of ghouls for all the points I had left. Yeah, yeah. Over. Uh, would I do that today? Um, you know, I think I'm a better player now. Um, you have so more probably now too. Yeah, player and options. I think I would probably want to spend some time and kind of tweak. I like having, I like having three giant threats. And then a bunch of things that give me activation um, options, you know. So, for example, if you wanted a crypt flare or uh, some sort of a clip, uh, you could you could. I'm looking at this now, doing it in my head. I don't do small math in my head very well, but you could get somewhere on the order of six to seven ghouls and still three big heavy hitters on the table with you, which puts you potentially on the higher activation count. And that activation currency is really important in the game. It's going to give you a lot of freedom early on when your ghouls are still all on the table. Mm -hmm. So that'd be something I'd, I'd be considering. I want to look at it a little bit and kind of play with it now. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Dan? Just initial thoughts on a list that you would run? Um, if it were going to be me... Well, all right. So the list that I do run is Infernal Courtier, a Crypt Flare, and then eight ghouls. Okay. Um, as far as like what inspires me, I'd say it'd be anything trying to work Duke's Harriers in there, the bats. Uh, but I don't actually have the bats yet, so uh, what I do run is uh, is that one with the two big flyers and then eight ghouls. That's a lot of bodies out there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Awesome. Well, if uh, any of uh, you in our audience land have any questions or comments about uh, or, or, or have a list that you'd like to share with us, uh, hit us up on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, I know, Dan, you have a death starter band like list that you've made recently, right, with all the, the death factions. You've done it for actually all the Grand Alliances. So um, if folks are interested, I would recommend also going to check out Dan's video there and leaving a comment on his YouTube channel uh, with your list maybe. So, yeah, check that out. Uh, let's round the show out, guys. Uh, the last thing that we want to talk about, just uh, briefly, is some of our parting thoughts of the Warcry First Edition. I like I said earlier, I think we're in like 1.4. It just depends on what you count, right? We had one 1.0, we had 1.1 with the Monsters and Mercenaries book that came out. Um, 
I don't know if the tone, the first tone of champions counts as kind of a like an a, a, an upgrade, I guess, to it mm-hmm. a little bit, you know. And then we had yeah, I'd uh, say we're in one point two right now. If it's uh yeah one point oh is until the Grand Alliance books, and then one point one is those books until the Toma Champion. But either way, we're all in the first edition, right? Yeah. So. This came out 2019. Um, we were all very excited for it. I was very excited to see the competitive scene come out. And then COVID hit us, right? Which kind of made us all really sad and, and not feel so great about Warcry. I mean, not, not, not about Warcry, but about being able to play Warcry. Because this seemed like such a great Saturday afternoon game to play at the game store with a bunch of your friends. And sadly, I know that Jason and I, we, we played quite a bit together but we never were able to get a group of people at the store together to play because of COVID. Um, and I think that that kind of, I think that that kind of hurt Warcry in the beginning. I think that it, uh, it didn't get the shotgun start that it wanted, um, right out of the gate. It sort of kind of came out and a little bit lost a little bit of interest. And then, you know, you had stuff like, um, uh, 40k 9th edition come out aos 3.0 come out and i think warcry got lost a little bit in the shuffle but i think this new edition is a chance to 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 restart so what uh what do you what do you guys think about warcry's journey thus far for me i mean i just want to take a second to thank the game because i don't know if i would have stayed in the hobby much if it hadn't been for Warcry, because mm. it fits my style of um, of painting a lot better. I have a really tough time sticking to the same paint scheme, uh, like month in and month out, in the way it takes to paint an entire army. Um, and Warcry is great for that. It sort of my attention. A given paint scheme, a given war band will keep my attention exactly long enough to paint everything that I would need options-wise for that war band, yeah. right? So that always comes out to about 700 points of AOS models or about, you know, 3,000 points of Warcry models. Um, and then I get to pick and choose different sorts of 1,000-point war bands out of that. Yeah. And that's like exactly how much energy I have for one faction at any given, you know, point in time. And so Warcry has just been this perfect um, thing for me to like stick interested into the game. I mean, that's why I created my YouTube channel for it was because, you know, I just couldn't believe that there weren't more people talking about this game um, just because... It, it just seemed so perfect for where my life was. And even to the point of just the way it takes up less space on the board. So like I can only play AOS if I like clear everything off of my dining room table um, to put it there. Right. But I can put Warcry on an old desk that I have. Um, I actually have an old desk that we don't use as a desk anymore. And it's just in the basement and that's, it's just always the Warcry table. Right. Um, So yeah, just everything about it fits a slightly more casual approach to the game that I think is just kind of a healthier place for me to be in general. So I'm just so glad that, that it came out and that, uh, that I've gotten to get really into it and meet all of the people I've met because of it. Wow. That was a, that was great. 
I, uh, my my eyes are misty right now. I know, uh, right? Somebody yeah. cut onions in yeah. here. Was it work yeah. for onions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I w- you know I would just to to add to that, um, and kind of a lot of the same themes, right? I I was AOS had been what I'd been playing for a while, and while I really love and enjoy Age of Sigmar, um, it's such an investment to play a game. You know, you're in it for two hours depending on the player you're with potentially two plus hours and uh, you know you're going to tweak an army you're going to come to the, you're going to tweak your list you're going to come to the table and you burn a night trying that one thing mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. when we get war cry it's like we tweak a list we come to the table and 30 minutes later you've played a game 30 to 45 minutes later you got a feel for what you did and what you want to tweak again mm-hmm. and yeah. that rinse repeat that rinse repeat time on the, it's so much easier to get time on the ball right uh, and getting time on the ball gets you more builds your confidence and it kind of built Warcry has built my confidence as a war gamer the ability to be a good war gamer or is it AOS oh, wow. I always what a great I point always, yeah yeah I always kind of felt like I was just you know really just trying to I, I could never I was treading water just trying to keep up with everything that was going on in AOS with Warcry I just I could so much time on the ball or time on the stick. Uh, mm-hmm. It just helped so well to build my confidence as a war gamer to sit down, have fun, you know, play a fun game with a fun list that was quirky that only had four ogres on the table, or play a or play a list that had you know, fifth, you know, ten to fifteen little dudes on the table. Learn from it quickly, and then build one that's somewhere in between that's a little more competitive. So I, I just really am happy and grateful for that. I'm excited to see what 2.0 brings. And I think that um, as long as it keeps that feeling of a quick skirmish game, um, then we will we will always uh, be able to latch on and keep that feeling that's kept us there through 1.0. Yeah, I think Warcry for me scratches the collector's itch that I have, right? Like I've got this need in me to be a completionist in certain things in my life. Uh, it's not an OCD, like I'm not OCD because I don't have that, you know, for like everything. Uh, but like when I play video games, I usually want to like get all of the achievements in that video game. Um, and it's kind of the same with uh, the modeling aspect and hobbying aspect of Warcry, which is like, I want all the bands. I, I, I want all of the armies. And the idea of doing a 2,000-point army for every single faction is just kind of crazy because, I mean, the amount of time and money it would take to put into that is is pretty significant. You know, I mean, I even had a goal of doing at least one army from each Grand Alliance, and I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ever even going to get there. I've got two. I've got an Orcs, and I've got Iron Jaws, and I've got Night Hunt in terms of, like, a, an AOS army. But on the other hand, with Warcry, I can get a Beast of Chaos warband put together. I can get a, a, a Disciples of Zinch warband put together. I can get, you know, a Corvus Cabal warband put together. And it, you know, over time, sure, it's like a lot of time and money, but you get a box at a time and work on it, and it keeps you engaged, it keeps you going, and it definitely, for me, scratches that, that hobbying itch that I had for such a long time that just wasn't really getting fulfilled by Age of Sigmar because, you know, you're batch painting, you know, 120 chain rasps, the same scheme, and it's taking you weeks, if not months, to get all of that done because you only have a limited time. 
But now I can work on a warband for two weeks and feel really happy with where it's at and really give the time and attention that each one deserves because I can focus. And so um, I love that. I love the fact that Warcry can be a gateway war game for a lot of my friends. And uh, Jason and I, we've had our, our uh, guild cons sometimes and we've had you know, war cry segments where we'll take four hours and play a little round robin tournament with eight different people. Um, we've had other guys come over and learn the game at my place. Um, you know, and then we just recently had the event, um, at Huzzah Hobbies where we did it. And and now we're, you know, holding a big event at the Nova open. So I love how it's an easy game for friends to get into. And once they play it and understand it, they're like, this game is awesome. This game is a lot of fun. I couldn't do that with, Age of Sigmar in a night. Um, it would take multiple nights to get somebody to the place that I can get one of my friends in with Warcry in one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I li- I love the fact that it's easily teachable. It's a lot of fun. At the end of the day, you walk away being like, "Man, that was a lot of fun." I'm glad we I'm glad we got together and, and had this fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you got four guys there. This is one of my complaints with Age of Sigmar. You go, you go play your friend, Jason. If I play you at a game store, we've got like six other guys standing around playing games and stuff like that. But we never really get to interact with them because by the time we're done, the game store's closing. We all got to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, you play Warcry with six of your friends, and you're going to play each of them. Maybe <laughs> you know, maybe not each of them, but a lot of them in yeah. in one evening. And you, it's definitely like more social and and more friendly that way. So. Um, those are, those are like my big two takeaways from Warcry, you know, 1.0 is that it, it gives me a chance to be the collector that I want to be without having to like break the bank and break my time. And it just allows me to share this game with people who are normally not war gamers, um, and, and to get into it. Very cool. Yeah. So I, I, I think I speak for all of us. We're very excited to see what happens with this new edition. Um, we love this game. We want it to move into um, good places. I think that uh, obviously Games Workshop has some great plans ahead uh, with uh, some of the organized play modules they talked about. And with the new edition, I hope that that uh, plays into some more competitive stuff. Uh, one of the biggest uh, complaints I, he- I ever heard with Warcry is that uh, it could never be a competitive game, which I take much issue with because I do believe that it can be a great competitive game. But um, I hope that Warcry 2.0 um, leans into it and doesn't shy away from being a um, competitive game as well as a very, very fun narrative game. So uh, I hope that we all see that and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. But until then, we've still got Warcry 1.2 that we're playing and, and uh, we'll, we'll always keep the dice rolling. So. With that, I think we'll bid everybody adieu, and we will catch you all next time. See you later. See ya.